Good morning, awakening. Oh, a few of you are awake this morning. One more time. Good morning, awakening. Awesome. You guys are, you guys have had your coffee. I can tell. Good morning. I am Christina. And um, my husband and I have been a part of Awakening since the beginning, um, which is pretty fun. Um, my husband is Steve, and we have three little rascals. They are rascals. Our um, oldest is seven, and then we have a four-and-a-half-year-old, then, um, then a little girl that's two that's a spitfire. <laughs> and I was trying to potty train her this week, so I'm just weary, just weary. No. Um, but it's totally a joy to get to be with you guys this morning. Um, this morning we are on our third week of a five-week season that's called Heavy with Hope. Um, even when you feel far from God, God is not far from you. Um, and I just want to do just a quick recap of the last two weeks super fast, just in case you weren't here or in case... Maybe you can't remember. I mean, that happens sometimes. So the first week we started with um, a week looking at the heart. And Ryan spoke on the Pharisees and how they tried so hard to follow all the rules. Um, but Jesus was so not impressed. And he talked about how it's, it's the heart that he cares the most about. And that there was kind of this craziness that the people that thought they were actually the closest to God, the Pharisees, were actually so yuck in their hearts that they were actually so very far away from him. Um, and then last week was Even Me, Even Now. And it was the beautiful story of this Gentile woman who came to Jesus and begged him to free her daughter from this demon possession. Um, and Jesus responded to that. And we learned from that that it's really our, our posture and our position before God that allows us to really experience his power. And um, Ryan just specifically focused on a few things, her desperation and her persistence and her, and her humility. Um, and then this week we're talking about the touch of God. And this week Jesus is, again, still in Gentile territory, um, just kind of loving this group of people that was a bit unloved. Um, so we're going to dive in. So Mark 7 is where we're going to be today. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bible to Mark 7, we're going to start in verse 31. And I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'd love to pray over the scripture before we dive in. Oh, God. God, you're good. And just as we were singing those words, I am set free. Oh, oh. God, I am set free. Lord, there's so much hope, so much hope in those words. God, that you have freed us and that we walk in freedom because of your goodness. And God, this morning as we come into this text in Mark and as we just dive into your word, God, I just want to pray that your spirit will be in this place. God, I just want to pray that our hearts would be soft and moldable to what it is you have to say to us today, Lord Jesus. And Lord, specifically, I just want to pray for the people in this room who do not feel free. I want to pray for those people who feel like they are in bondage, like they're locked up. And God, I just pray that today would be that day where your freedom would come into their lives, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. So Mark 7, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through, and went through Sidon. Okay, I'm going to start again because I just forgot to speak English all of a sudden. Sorry. Then <laughs> Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. And there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven. And with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. 
Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept on talking. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This morning, I want to dive into this passage, and I want us to kind of take it verse by verse and and really look at what Jesus is doing here, because I feel like there are several things that he does that are extremely intentional. It's not just on accident that he's doing these things, but they're very, very purposeful. So let's start in verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So I pulled out my map to kind of look what these cities were because I didn't know them. Um, And this is kind of what he did. It was like if we started in San Jose and we wanted to go to San Diego, but we decided to go by way of San Francisco. That's exactly what Jesus did. So he started somewhere, and he wanted to go directly south, and so he went directly north to get south. It doesn't really make sense, and I don't think Siri would give you those directions if that's how you were trying to get there, but that's exactly what Jesus did. And a couple of the commentaries I read on this passage even said that maybe some people thought maybe, maybe Mark was mistaken. Maybe that's not actually what really happened. I don't think Mark was mistaken. I think he did it correctly, and I think maybe Jesus did what didn't make sense because he had a plan. I think he had some divine appointments with these Gentile people. I don't think there was any mistake in what he was doing. So even just in the geography and location, we know Jesus is exactly where he wants to be because he has a very divine appointment with these people. In verse 32, it says, There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. See, this man that they brought to him, friends, he was deaf. So he would not have been able to hear about Jesus. So they had to bring him to Jesus. And friends, because he couldn't speak well, he couldn't tell Jesus what was wrong with him. He couldn't beg Jesus for himself. So these other people begged for him. And Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew what was wrong with him. Verse 33. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and he spit and touched the man's tongue, and he looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, which means be opened. So the first thing here that I think is really interesting is that Jesus does what with the man? He pulls him to the side. He pulls him to the side. So there's a crowd, there's all these people, they're here together, and the first thing he does is he pulls the man away from the crowd. I think what Jesus is saying here is that this situation, this healing, what's going to happen here, this is not about lots of people looking in. It's not about Jesus being glorified. It's not about all the attention being on him and everyone seeing this miracle. This miracle is about this man. It's about this very specific, broken, lonely, hurt man. Because, friends, in our culture, being deaf is a special need. And I'm I'm sure it's very inconvenient. I'm sure it's got to be really, really troublesome. It's got to be hard. But in this culture, it made him a bit of an outcast. In the Gentile community... There was a belief that when there's physical deformity or something wrong with the body, it's because the gods were angry. So it was either this man's fault or it was his parents' fault. But either way, being deaf and being mute, there's great blame and great shame in it. And Jesus knows this about him. And Jesus knows this man's story. I can only imagine his story, friends. Because of the blame, because of the shame. He's he's probably not married. He probably doesn't have children. He's not able to have a, a job. He begs. That's how he takes care of himself. Or maybe he has some family members that help to take care of him. But his life is not fun life. Um, I can only imagine the teasing he's probably endured. 
he's probably been a spectacle a lot of his life. This Friday, my son came home from school. My oldest son is seven. And he was telling me about, um, at lunchtime, some bullying that was going on. And he goes to a big school. I know there's lots of bullying that goes on. But this specifically, like, really tugged in my heart because he was telling me about the little kid in his class named Jacob. And Jacob's a sweet little guy. His body's a little smaller than the other kids in his class. And one of his legs has a really severe limp. And so when he walks, he kind of stumbles a little bit. And sometimes he falls. And one of his hands, he holds close into his body. And he doesn't use it very much. And that's Jacob. And he's, and he's a little bit quiet. Um, and, and he's just a sweet, sweet kid. And, and James was telling me that at lunch, a couple of the bigger kids, the bullies, had gotten Jacob's lunchbox. And they were throwing it to each other back and forth over his head. And he was trying to get it from him. And do you know I started crying when my son told me this story? And I'm like, and what did you do? And luckily he did the right thing and it was beautiful. But friends, bullying makes me angry. It makes me so angry. And as we think of this man, this deaf and mute man, I assure you, he was definitely the butt of many jokes. He definitely was picked on. He was shame, shame for what wasn't his fault. And this is the man that's brought to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? In his tenderness in his loving kindness, in his compassion, he takes the man aside. He's like, now let's, we're going to come over here. I'm not going to do this in front of everyone. They don't need to see this. He did something very, very personal, just the two of them. This week I was wanting to kind of get um, an idea of what the situation would look like, somebody who is deaf hearing for the first time. So I did what anyone would do. I went to YouTube because that's where we go for any great information, right? Um, and I watched video after video after video after video. Um, of people who had had a cochlear implant, which is a device that's put into their brains that provides them with hearing for the first time in their lives. And you guys, <laughs> I cried like a little baby. My husband walked in the room. He's like, what, what are you crying about? I'm like, oh, just let me be. It's okay. Um, but here's what happened. And you can totally go to YouTube later and look at this. But there was really a similar response that most people had when they heard something for the first time. For the little kids, babies are little kids, you can just see the fear on their face. It's just so scary because their world has been silent and all of a sudden it's really loud and it hurts and they just cry. Um, also with the kids, something that I thought was so interesting is you would see a parent saying their voice, their name over and over and over, Bree, Bree, look at mommy, Bree. And what's the little kiddo doing? They have no clue that's mommy's voice and they have no clue that's what their name sounds like. So they're not responding, right? I thought that's so interesting. They don't even know what their name sounds like. And then watching the videos of older people, of adults and teenagers, men and women alike, there's tears. There's just tears. For some of them, it's joy, and for some of them, I'm sure it's just, it's got to be a little bit of that fear, too. But friends, it is a very emotional experience. And I can only imagine that Jesus knew that's exactly what was going to happen when he healed this man. I don't know if this man broke down into tears. The passage doesn't tell us that. But I know God's doing something really gentle with him. So he pulls him to the side to be extremely special with him. Um, in Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King, he says it this way, and I really like this. He says, Jesus deeply identifies with this man. All the touching of his ears and the touching of his mouth, it's like sign language. Jesus is explaining to him what he's doing. He's saying, let's go over here. Don't be afraid. This deafness, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. Now let's look to God. And he comes into the man's cognitive world and he uses terms, nonverbal speech, that he can understand. I love that. Verse 33. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers to the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said, Ephapha, 
which means be opened. So we see here that Jesus is acting this out for him. He's showing him what he's going to do. And you guys, Jesus touches him. He doesn't just speak a word of healing. He touches him. Visualize it. Hands to ears. Spit to the tongue. To me, this seems kind of grody and kind of strange. I assure you, it was not grody and strange for these people in our culture. Can you imagine if a doctor did that to you? You're like, I think I might have stepped throat. And the doctor's like, ah, it'd be gross, right? But just for us, like, that's disgusting. If, a, you know, if Jesus would have taken, like, a tongue suppressor into his mouth, they would have been like, what are you doing, you know? This, this was the culture they were in. In Jewish culture, saliva was thought to have had some healing powers, um, especially if it was the saliva of somebody who was a teacher who performed a prayer or a healing ceremony, so this is super normal for them. So spit on the tongue, then his eyes go to heaven to show where his power is coming from. And then his voice sighed. <sighs> Some translations say it's more of a moan. Oh. And as I read different commentaries about this, there's kind of a lot of disagreement about what this was for, why. Was it a sigh, like Jesus was emotionally relating with this man? He's feeling his pain, and so he's sighing with him? Is it a moan because Jesus is having to do hard work to heal? That there's something that's being drawn out of him? I don't know, but here's what I do know. This deaf man didn't hear the sigh. Whereas the touching of the hands to the ears and the spit to the tongue, these are all for the man. Looking to heaven, the deaf man can see this. But for some reason, this sigh, the deaf man would not have been able to hear that. That's just Jesus. That's just his response. And to me, that strikes me as something very personal, very emotional, very real. Right? That the God of all heaven has this emotional response as he's healing someone and feeling their pain. And then the healing word is spoken, ephatha, which means be opened. And verse 35 says, And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Um, I love the imagery of the tongue being loosened. Um, since I have kids, and I'm not smart enough to have Velcro shoes in the house, um, I know the idea of little knots that are all tied up. And there's nothing that makes me crazier than when it's time to go and the shoes are like full of little knots. And I'm like, ah, undo the knots. But I'm visualizing that with this man's tongue. For some reason, it's all tied up. All tied up, all these little knots. Or maybe just one big knot. And just at that word, they're loosened. His tongue is freed. And Jesus commanded them, verse 36, not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed in amazement. They said, he has done everything well. And they said, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Friends, instantly this man is healed. Instantly. Healed. A life of isolation, a life of pain, of shame, instantly changed. His trajectory has totally changed in just a moment with Jesus just a moment, that tongue is loosened, and suddenly his whole life will never be the same. He is a completely new man, and the people are overwhelmed. That phrase that they says, he has done everything well, what does it remind us of? Close? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in Genesis, when God looks at his creation. Remember this? Genesis 131. And God looked at all that he had done, and he said, it is very good. It is very good. These are the similar words that we're hearing here. And I think what Mark is trying to tell us is that Jesus is doing, he's redoing what was done at the beginning. He is bringing new life and new creation into this broken, broken world. That is what Jesus is doing in this. So friends, why is it that Jesus touched him? Because if you remember last week with the woman whose daughter was possessed by the demon, there was no hands-on healing. There was no prayer. There was no sigh 
he just said to her, your daughter has been freed, go, right? See, Jesus didn't have to do this whole ring and roll. There was no abracadabra that needed to happen to access Jesus' healing power. But for some reason in this situation, he chose to do some very specific things. Uh, maybe it's because it was kind of culturally what he did. Um, maybe it's because in verse 32, the people came to him pleading. And what did they plead him to do? To do? do you remember this? To place a hand on him. To place a hand on him. I'm wondering if Jesus is responding directly to what they asked. Almost like he's answering their prayer right there. He's responding to what they saw the need was. And I also think Jesus is meeting this man where he's at. He could have spoken a word, but the man wouldn't have heard it. Right? He knew very specifically this man's story. He knew his stuff. He knew his pain. He knew his heart. And so when he goes about healing him, he does it exactly the way the man needs it to be done. See, for a Jewish rabbi to touch a Gentile, that in itself is very taboo. And then even more so to touch someone who is deaf, who has a problem with them. This is not something rabbis did. And yet Jesus totally does it. It reminds me as a couple chapters back, if you remember when Jesus touched the leper, someone who's very sick, very contagious. Jesus does not shy away from touching the untouchable. He just goes right on in there and loves on them. Jesus doesn't have any problem with that. Um, it seems like Jesus is going out of his way to touch the untouchable. To me, that's a great encouragement because, friends, I'm sometimes so very untouchable. Jesus knew his deep needs. And I think for us, that's a great, a great reminder that even when we feel far from God, like this man who felt very far, I'm sure, who thought the gods were mad at him, God was actually right with him, very close with him. Um, I think for probably many of us today, deafness is not necessarily our issue. Perhaps we have a couple people that might have some help going on in their ears today um, in this room. I don't know. But for most of us, it's not physical deafness that's what's tripping us up, that's isolating us and keeping us from Jesus. But I do think that for some of us, there is a spiritual deafness that has blocked up our ears, that has tied up our tongue. And instead of living the life we're called to live, we're living a life of isolation like this man. I mean, we even see the disciples, to some extent, had some spiritual deafness. Just in the next chapter, in Mark 8, we see as Jesus is talking to them, and he's starting to get frustrated with them because they're just, they're not getting it. They're seeing him heal and do miracles, and, and they just, they have no clue who he is. They're not understanding what's going on. And he says to them, do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? And sometimes I think Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Awakening. Do you have eyes but you don't see? In this world, in this city, in our culture, do you have ears but you do not hear? Do you not hear what I'm telling you? So today I want us to kind of look at this idea of spiritual deafness, and I want us to be really vulnerable in allowing God to point out to us if that's something that we've got in our lives, if that's something that's in the way of us hearing God's voice. I want us to really ask ourselves if this is our issue. Because here's what I know. God is speaking. And God is moving. And our God, he is healing and he is reconciling people today in America right now. He is doing this. So if we are unaware of it or we don't have a heart for it, our ears are all closed up. So I'm going to give you five ways. Sorry, these will not be on the screen because, friends, this message just did not happen early enough in the week to get these on the screen. 
forgive me. But I have five specific things that I want us to look at as to could be the cause of our spiritual deafness. It could be the cause. So the first one is, um, I think some of us are just maybe unaware that we need God. We are unaware of our need for God. And I just have to share with you a story about one of my kiddos. So do you guys know the song, Lord, I Need You? Have you heard the song? The words are, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. I mean, powerful words, right? Okay, so if you come into my house at about 5 o'clock every night, there's a good chance I will be singing the song. Because there's homework going on, and there's dinner being cooked, and there's toys everywhere, and there's a husband that, like, can't get home soon enough. Right? And I've just, I've been doing the mom thing all day with my three kids, and I'm just dunsies. And so, like, this is the time of the day that you hear me be like, oh, God, I'm going to scream. One more cup of coffee. Lord, I need you. And I sing this song so much that all my kids kind of know how it goes, and, you know, they get it. Even my two-year-old is so cute. She has her little version of it. It's just adorable. I should get it on video. It's really cute. But one of my sons, when I sing the song, says to me, in this very matter-of-fact, very practical, very true statement, Mom, I don't need God. I don't, I, I, I don't need God this hour. I haven't needed him all day, actually. And I try to explain to him, oh, babe, but without God's love, like the universe, it will just like, it would cease to exist. Our hearts would stop beating. Like our lungs cannot even take a breath without the grace of God. For a kid, it, it, that's not going in. And then he'll say to me, Mom, Jesus is not our one defense. I mean, we have the U.S. Army. We have the U.S. Navy. We have our Marines. I mean, he's going to like give me like the rundown and then the weaponry. And then, you know, like Jesus is not our one defense. And what good would Jesus be anyways, he would think, because you can't really see him. So, you know, I mean, this is the way he thinks, right? Because he's seven, and that's maybe how you think when you're seven. Um, but friends, you know what? I think as adults, some of us have this exact same thought. Exact same. We do not think we need God. And for me to even have to sing those words to that song, sometimes, Lord, I need you, it is so humbling, I don't even want to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I would so much rather do it on my own. I really, I want to be strong, and I want to be independent, and I want to be able to run my life, and I don't want to need anyone, because that is a sign of weakness, and I don't want to be weak. I mean, because I'm a woman, and women are strong, and, right? I mean, you're with me on this, right? But I think that this is kind of where some of our hearts are. We are unaware of our need for God. I mean, we live in the Silicon Valley, you guys. We live in a land flowing with milk and honey, or beautiful cars and lots of money. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of pride in that. We are sophisticated and we are savvy, and we like to think that we are leading the country in our politics and our open-mindedness. We don't want to need God, and we are somewhat unaware of our need for him sometimes. I think um, sometimes we go even as far to say things like these statements that I've heard before that make me cringe. Um, we'll say things like, you know, we don't actually make mistakes. Every road we choose is just a part of our journey, right? Or I had a friend that said to me once, I don't regret anything in my life because the choices I've made have led to who I am today. And I think those are lies because I think we make all sorts of bad choices. We stumble on people and we hurt them and we separate ourselves from people. We break down relationships. We break down our relationship with God, with sin in our lives. Friends, we really are not okay. We really do need our God. So I think for some of us, that spiritual deafness, it just comes from that deep belief in us that we don't need him, an unawareness of him. Secondly, 
I think for some of us, we're much more like my two-year-old. Sorry, it's all about kids. I'm sorry, this is my life. Bear with me. But we're all about my two-year-old, and this is my two-year-old. La, 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 la. I mean, really, she does it. It's so annoying. I just want to yank those little fingers out. You guys, I think we do this in our faith. The Lord is trying to get our attention, and we just plug up those ears because we are comfortable in the silence. That's number two. We're comfortable in the silence. Not only are we spiritually deaf, but we are okay being spiritually deaf. It's comfortable. There's something about the silence that we kind of like. We're not stretched. We're not pulled. We don't have to go out of our comfort zone. We don't have to listen to what God is asking us to do. Oh, but what a yucky place to live, right? Oh, that's just, that's not how we want to do it. But some of us are there. Number three, I think some of us are dealing with spiritual deafness because we have a deep belief that we are unworthy a deep belief that we are just unworthy. And even the idea of coming to God is more than we can bear. We cannot imagine how there could be grace and forgiveness for us, for what we've done, for what has been done to us. We just feel so unworthy. And so instead of trying to listen to the voice of God, we put up our walls and we become spiritually deaf to what God is trying to say to us. And number four, I think some of us just don't actually believe God can heal us. We are spiritually deaf because we don't believe he can heal us. We've maybe seen him heal other people, and we think, you know, he can do that with other people, but not me. I mean, you don't know how far gone I am. This isn't going to happen to me. Um, and, And I think, honestly, friends, that's a little bit more of a statement about our view of God than it is about ourselves. And I've come to find, this is no great revelation, but I did student ministry for years and years and years and loved teenagers, and I found that so often the ideas that teenagers have about God are linked directly to their fathers. And I think a lot of us have some serious daddy issues or mommy issues or authority issues. And so when we think of this idea of a loving heavenly father, with tenderness and gentleness that wants to offer us grace and heal our hearts and come to us one-on-one and love us, some of us just can't, we, we just can't even fathom that. Like, there, we just have nothing to compare that to. Because when we think of a father, maybe we think of distantness or abandonedness or we think of pain or, I mean, we, I don't know where we go. But for some of us, that's really why we, we don't believe God can heal us. We have the wrong view of God. We don't really believe that he could and that he would And so we close up our ears and we're spiritually deaf. And the last, number five, reason that I think some of us are spiritually deaf, and I think this actually probably applies to most of us, is that we're just deaf by the noise of our world. We're deaf by noise. Maybe we have started on a path wanting to hear God. Maybe we have heard God. And maybe some of us today, we do hear God clearly. But for a lot of us, I think there is just so much noise. So much noise, so much busyness. There's so much going on in our world that it is just nearly impossible to hear the Lord. I mean, we have our jobs, and we have our families, and we have our friends, and we have our extracurriculars, and we have our shows, and we have social media, and we have our phones. And between all of that, and trying to keep up with all of that, it is so hard to hear the still, small voice of our Lord. I think some of us are deaf by noise. 
But awakening, here's what I want to say today to us as a community. If we fall under these five categories, if we are spiritually deaf, we are not living the life of the healed. We are not living the life we were called to live. We are living life like a deaf and mute man. In isolation, in loneliness, an artificial life that we were not created for. That's not how God designed us to live. And like a deaf person who does not know the sound of their own name, like that little kiddo sitting there with a loving parent calling to them by name, they don't even know their own name. They don't hear and recognize. Friends, I think we can be like that. That's what our spiritual deafness is like. The Lord is calling to us. He's trying to get our attention. We, and we can't even hear him. But we know in John 10, 4, if you guys know this, this story, about the sheep that know the voice of their shepherd. Right? Friends, that's who we want to be. We want to be the sheep that know the voice of their shepherd. So that when we hear our shepherd's voice, we turn and we go and we respond to him. Friends, God can and he will heal our spiritual hearts. We get that from this story. He can break through our spiritual deafness so that we can hear his voice. And I feel like when we start to heal his, hear his voice, then we can really allow him to heal our hearts and get down to the nitty-gritty of our pain. I believe that God, like he did through Jesus, he longs to pull us aside quietly. Not in front of everyone. He doesn't want to make a spectacle of us. He doesn't want to shame us. He knows our story. He knows our pain. He wants to quietly pull us to the side. Gently, one-on-one, -on -one, even in our messy painfulness. And I think he wants to say like that quote I read earlier from Tim Keller, let's just go over here. Let's go over here. Don't be scared. I'm going to do something about that. Let's look to God. He looks to heaven. I think that's the message we need to get from this passage today. That God's saying to us, I know, I know you're hurting. I know you're broken. I know your story. You don't think I know, but I know. And I want to do something about that. I love that line. I I'm going to do something about that. He knows and he wants to respond. About that calloused heart, that hard, cynical, negative heart, what does God say? I'm going to do something about that about our past hurts, that past pain that haunts us, what's God say? I'm going to do something about that. About the abuse that we endured that still paralyzes us, I'm going to do something about that. About that addiction that entraps us, that's stealing our joy and our life, I'm going to do something about that. About our obsession with achievement, God says, I'm going to do something about that. About our obsession with achievement and success, I'm going to do something about that. About our obsession with our identities and our egos, I'm going to do something about that. About our obsession with our bodies, I'm going to do something about that. And our obsession with our comfort and our safety, God wants to do something about that. This story requires a response. This is not a story that we can just listen to and say, oh, isn't that nice, and walk away. This is a story of a powerful God. 
with a heart to heal us. This is the story of a tender, loving Jesus Christ who goes to the outcast and goes to the broken and instantly changes their life. So as we're sitting here today, I think there's a response required of us. And I think we need to find ourselves in this story, friends. Honestly. I think as we hear this, um, we resonate with different people. Some of us resonate with that deaf and mute man. As we sit here today, our hearts are broken. And we are hurting. And things are not right. And we desperately need a God who will heal us and touch us and love us. And here's what I want to say to that. Is it possible, friends, that we are not healed because we have not done what the people did in verse 32? Begged Jesus to put his hand on him. I don't know. Maybe it's possible that we have not come to our Heavenly Father and begged him for healing. That we have been honest. God, I do need you. I am a mess. And we've begged him. Lord Jesus, please heal me. Please heal me. In this story, I think some of us are more like those people. We're like those people that bring the broken person to Jesus. Because friends, as I've been talking today and as you've been listening, I I can tell on your faces, there are some people in this room that are saying, Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord has healed me. This is true. This is true. Right? There are stories. If I had Felicia come up, she could tell us stories. This is how the Lord has healed me. This is what reconciliation looks like. This is what pain and broken relationships look like. This is what death looks like. And look, look what God has done with it. There is new life. Friends, there are all sorts of stories like that in this room. I know there are. And for those of us that that's where we stand today, we are no longer feeling that brokenness of desperation. We're on the other side. What is our job? Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept on talking. I'm not telling you to disobey Jesus, but I'm just saying that when you have seen the healing power of Jesus, you don't sit quiet. When God has healed your very soul and mended your heart and put the pieces back together, there is nothing quiet about that. People were overwhelmed and amazed, and they said, he has done everything well. He has done everything well. Friends, if you are sitting in this room and you have been healed by the power of Jesus, I am charging you to be healers. That is our job. It is our job to keep talking about it. It is our job to heal other people. It is our job to share that amazement and that wonder and that joy of Jesus. We are called to be healers. As the band comes up, I'm just going to wrap us up a little bit. Um, And they're going to lead us in just an awesome worship song. But here's what I want to ask you guys to do. In this space, in this time, I want you to think back through those five things that I talked through. I'll give them to you one more time. And I want you to see if you identify with any of these and if you've got to just be honest with God about where you're at. I mean, there's no reason to lie. He kind of already knows the truth. Do you have spiritual deafness? Is it because you really are just unaware that you need a God? Are you like a sweet seven-year-old with very concrete thinking that only believes what's right in front of them and what they see, and you just don't really believe you need a God? 
Are you too savvy and too sophisticated and you just can do it yourself? Or maybe you're just happy in the silence, and I know that's a really hard thing to confess and be honest to God about. But if God's trying to get your attention, and you know it, and you're going, la, 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 it might be a good time to let him, let him in. Or friends, are you feeling unworthy? As you sit here, do you just feel that shame, that embarrassment, that guilt? Guys, that's not God. Those emotions do not come from God. God offers grace. His Holy Spirit works in our hearts to bring our sins to our mind, but he does not condemn. He offers hope. So if you are feeling that unworthy condemnation today, you need to know that's evil. That's from the evil one, and that is not from our Lord Jesus. Maybe you believe that God really cannot heal you. Maybe you just cannot fathom that someone would actually love you that much. Or maybe, friends, you are just deaf by the noise of this world. Wherever you are, I want to encourage you to think on this, to pray on this, and let the Holy Spirit tell you what action it is that you are to take on it. Because, friends, I know from the story, the heart of our God, it is wholeness. It is healing. It is bringing that deaf man back into the community. And that's what God wants to do with us. So I'm going to pray, and then I just want to leave us in a little bit of silence to think through it. And then we're going to sing this song, and I just want to read a couple of these words to you. The song is called, How Can It Be? And the words are, I am guilty. I'm ashamed of what I've done and what I've become. These hands are dirty, and I dare not lift them to the Holy One. But here's the hope. You plead my cause, and you right my wrongs, and you break my chains, and you overcome. God, you gave your life to give me mine so that I am free. How can it be? So as we prepare to sing those words, let's just have some time with God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. God, I thank you that Mark chose to put this in his gospel when no one else put it in their gospels. God, because there's something about this story, Lord, that it just shows your heart. It just shows who you are. It just shows that tenderness and love of Jesus. And God, we want to respond to that. So God, in this time, in this space, God, will you please show up? We're going to sit in your presence, Lord, and listen to your voice.